You are listening to an audio broadcast from the Charlottesville Vineyard Christian Church. How many of you watched the Olympics? Just out of curiosity. Um, that's right, I know, yeah, when I was taping out of my DVR so I could skip through all the commercials and so on. Um, I was, uh, I, I love the Olympics, I love when it comes around, and this year, you know, my kids were watching it with us too, a lot of great moments there, and one of the moments that stood out to me, probably, thanks, one of the moments that stood out to me the most uh, during this Olympics was when Lindsey Vaughn won the gold medal in the downhill. Did you guys see that? And, you know, here's this athlete that is obviously prepared for a long time to be there. She's good. She's expected to win. Um, and the rest of her Olympics really didn't go like she had hoped it, it would. But when she came down on that run, the last run, she, she wins this gold medal. It was like the culmination of everything in her career and all the expectations that had been on her. And she got very emotional, and it was, it was really sort of a highlight. It was like, wow, you know, this person has reached the pinnacle of their sport. And part of the reason why it was emotional for her, and I think for everybody that kind of watched it, was because you, you, there was so much press coverage of her and who she was and what she had done. And and the amount of preparation, the hurdles that she had to get over to get to that point where she, you know, won this gold medal and rose to the pinnacle of her sport. And it's really true for all of those athletes that, you know, we we see them compete and you think, oh, man, I'd love to do that. But we don't always think about all of the preparation that goes into getting to the point where you're a world-class athlete like that. And, you know, these are not like people that just kind of, hang out all day long and, you know, eat potato chips and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, hey, I think I'll go to the Olympics. And they go out there and they're just happen to be good at their sport and they win. They prepare, they train. They're very rigorous about it. I, I had to laugh when the commercial came on about the Olympics, you know, and here's what so-and-so eats, you know, as an Olympian. You know, and I'm like, right, that guy's not going to McDonald's. That is not breakfast of champions, okay? Um, I'm, I don't know how you can slice that, but it, it just doesn't come up that way. Um, and this morning, one of the things we're going to be talking about is this idea of discipline and what it takes to more or less run the race, uh, and 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 you're going to see this in a little while. I'm going to have a couple of people read a couple of verses about this very idea in Scripture is running us race, the race of our faith, the race of Christianity, the race of having a relationship with God. And, you know, we can be flabby couch potatoes in our faith or we can be world-class athletes. The reality is probably most of us are somewhere in between. But it takes discipline to cultivate an inner life the same way that it takes discipline to cultivate a physical outer life. And so often in our culture, everything, the focus is always on the outside and, you know, the way people look or the way that they perform. And with God, you know, Jesus is still here in chapter 6, and he's talking about some of the things we do as we practice our faith. And the two things you're going to see this morning in this passage are you're going to see him lay out some disciplines that we need to follow as Christians. And there is this body of disciplines known as the spiritual disciplines. Bill read from a classic book on this. It's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And I'm not going to go into all of these, and we're not really even going to go into, okay, here's how you practice this or here's how you practice this. I would suggest that you do some reading on that if you really want to sort of learn how to get in shape spiritually. And I'll give you a couple of um, 
examples of some of, the, of my own journey in those areas. But um, Jesus is going to lay out three of these things for us this morning. And even more than that, even more than the emphasis on the disciplines themselves, he's going to lay out the attitude behind those disciplines. And that's what we want to be careful not to miss. Now, I'm, I'm going to just tell you up front that I'm sort of dividing this sermon into two pieces. So we're going to deal with this idea of um, religion versus righteousness, which has to do with um, those disciplines and how we practice them. And then right in the middle of this section, he, he, he goes and he expounds and he elaborates on one of them, which is prayer. And you have this section known as the Lord's Prayer, which we're all familiar with. And we're going to deal with that a little bit in part two because he has some very specific things to say about prayer. So um, I'm going to read here just to get us going. And I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 1. And instead of reading straight through, I'm just going to hit the three sections that deal with our three disciplines this morning. He starts by saying, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here he's talking about giving. It's talking about the need for secrecy. Now listen to the language in this next section because it's exactly the same. In verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. You ever seen these cultures that have like what they call phylacteries or even prayer wheels where they put all their prayers on a wheel and they just kind of spin it around? And the idea is the more times you spin it, the more repetition you get out of the prayer. You know, like, wow, I'm really getting mileage now. You know, like somehow God is going to hear these prayers the more times you spin the wheel. And it, it simply becomes a meaningless exercise of your wrist so to speak, because that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for the heart. He's looking for communication. He's looking for fellowship with us, not just something. I was in Mongolia at one point, and you go into some of the arid areas there, and the, the people who live there, you'll see these bushes and trees, and they completely strip all the leaves off them, and they hang scraps of cloth on these things. And on these scraps of cloth, those are prayers to whatever God they're trying to worship, but they basically just hang their prayers up on the tree, and, you know, once again, that's an outward thing, but I'm not sure how much heart there is and how much connection there is going on with that type of a thing. So anyway, just to say that, these meaningless things. And by the way, I'll just throw out this. Do we say grace? And, and answer that for yourself because I'm not saying that grace is wrong, but I know for myself in my own life, there's been times that it's real easy to just let that become a ritual without any meaning. And you do it because you think, well, if somebody's watching, I probably better to be a good Christian. I better save grace so I don't look bad or something. And that is the essence of religion. When we're talking about religion, it's doing it so that other people will see what we're doing. And that's what Jesus is getting at here with the heart. Okay? So now I'm going to skip forward over the Lord's Prayer here. And we're going to go 
to the last portion of this section, which is 16 to 18, and he gives us our third discipline here. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. By the way, when he uses the word hypocrites, he's really talking about the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the day, okay? So he's talking about organized, established religion. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. Jesus is rarely critical, but when he is, he's very critical, and he's critical of one group of people, and those are not unbelievers who are out there sinning. He had compassion and grace for those people. The people he reserved his harshest criticism for were the religious, established religious leaders of the day. Because, to quote him, they had missed the heart of who God was. And so, here again, he's criticizing them. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right, so we got our next slide here. Let's see what that looks like. So the heart of discipline, here are three of them that he outlines right off the top of his head. Those are giving, prayer, and fasting. Um, so why do we engage in spiritual disciplines? We engage in spiritual disciplines because they get us in shape for the marathon of Christianity. And I've already talked about that a little bit. But other places in Scripture elaborate on this a little bit. And I think, Bill, you've got Hebrews 12.1. Just 12.1. There you go. Let us set aside the hindrances and the sin, and let's run the race that's been set out for us. And I remember somebody, my high school youth pastor, one of the few sermons I actually remember preaching on this, and he said, you know what What Paul supposedly, Paul would say Paul's the author of Hebrews. What he's saying here is this. He said, run light and run focused. You know, and somebody compared the marathon of the Christian life to running down a street where you have to get from one end to the other, and on each side of the street are all these shops set up with everything you can imagine that will distract you from that race. And everybody in those windows, hey, come on over here, check this out. Hey, come on over here, check this out. You know, actually, Brian and I were just having a conversation about both living in Southern California, and he made the comment, he said, yeah, it was a little tough. He said, it's just, it's so, there's so many things that will distract you out there from what you're really supposed to be about. And I'm like, yeah, no, I was there for 30 years, and it's easy to get distracted. But you know what? The reality is it's easy to get distracted anywhere. And I guarantee you, to stand on that Olympic podium, those people were not people who got distracted. Lindsey Vaughn was not distracted. She was single-minded. That's why she accomplished what she accomplished. Second of all, the motivation of our heart, and this is, this is the point I think Jesus is really making here too, the motivation of our heart and the cultivation of the inner life are the keys to growth. Um, somebody had Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. I mean, most of us have heard this verse before. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And, you know, I, I just recently had sort of a, I don't know what you call it, God God just kind of, you know, it's one of those times when God just kind of gently speaks into your life and you go, oh, yeah. And you have that sort of 
moment where you have a little bit of spiritual enlightenment. And I, I was sort of able to step back from my life for a moment and, and look at my life and say, wow, what, what am I really trying to do here? And am I really being focused on the things that are important? Because when I boil my life down, what, what things are really important? Well, there's actually very few things that are really important. And first and foremost would be my walk with God. Because the reality is if we let our walk with God just slide and do whatever, you know, how enjoyable is heaven going to be? Um, you know, how, how fulfilled is your life here on earth going to be? Jesus said he came to give us life and have it to the full. And he wasn't talking about he's here to supply us like a cosmic sugar daddy. He was talking about coming to supply us with the life that only he can give. But that's a sort of a two-way street. We have to be focused on that as well. So motivation of the heart and the cultivation of the inner life are keys to growth. Guard your heart. So I had to step back from my life and just look and say, you know, my, my walk with God are, is, is one of the, the primary thing in my life. And the second one is, is my family. Um, one of my friends and I growing up, um, he's, he's a pastor now down in San Diego area, and he used to say, you know, there's really only two things that are going to last for eternity, and that is God's word and people. And if you're not investing your life in those two things, what are you doing? Um, you know the old story about people climbing the corporate ladder and they get to the top of the ladder and they find out it's leaning against the wrong building? You know, what, what, a, what a regret to be sort of at the end of your life and realize that you climbed the wrong ladder because there's no going back from that point. Anyway, when we're looking at the spiritual disciplines, we're told to practice these by Jesus. These are some of them. The other thing that is really important, obviously, I've just hit is, you know, the attitude of the heart. And I think there's always a question we should be asking of ourselves about anything that we do, and it's this. Why am I doing this? This is a great question, very simple question, and sometimes very difficult to answer. Why am I doing this? And that could be with anything. Uh, this morning, you know, why am I preaching this morning? Okay, Jim asked me. That's a good reason. But am I up here preaching because I want people to think better of me? Could be. I mean, I have to be careful with that. You know, it's good to get the old attaboy on the back or whatever. But when I do something like this, I need to spend some time in prayer saying, God, you know, it's really not about how I look up here this morning or what I'm doing. That's not why I'm doing this. It's not why I want to be doing this. I want to be doing this so that you're glorified, so that we all can come into a closer walk with Christ. You know, what about serving, giving, you know, the people who, you know, they want to be seen throwing the big check in. And, you know, it's, and I'm not trying to be critical of people here. All of us have done it at one time or the other because it's such an easy line to just subtly slide over and you go to that place and the next thing you know, well, there you are. And all of a sudden the motivations are just a little tweaked. And all of a sudden we start being religious rather than being righteous. And God asks us to be righteous. So we have to watch and guard our own hearts and our own attitudes of our hearts by asking that question. Let me ask you this. Why are you here this morning? Why are you doing this? Why do we go to church? And I can tell you there's a lot of people in any town in America that go to church because it's socially acceptable. It has nothing to do with God. There's guys who are preaching and teaching from the pulpit every Sunday for every reason under the sun other than 
the glory of God. Not trying to be critical of that, but it's like even good things can be done for the wrong reasons. And this is this is important to understand. In Christianity, the the end never justifies the means. Okay? It's not about the end. It's really about the journey getting there. And God is more concerned with the journey than the destination. He's concerned with us growing up in the right way, cultivating the inner life, but doing it in a right way. And some of us will get further. Some of us will reach the gold medal podium. Some of us may not get out of the living room very often. But we were on the journey, and we tried as best we knew how with God's help to do it in the best way that we could. And so it's we continually have to be double-checking our heart and our attitude. And so a great question for me is, you know, why am I doing this? So we had three things. We had giving, we had prayer, we had fasting. Um, those are spiritual disciplines. Uh, I would highly suggest at some point that you pick up Richard Foster's book, which is Celebration of Discipline. I've never read the whole book, but I can tell you I've read certain pieces of it and just take one chapter and focus on one, one discipline like fasting or something like that and work through that and, and, and start practicing that and trying that. It doesn't, and, and let me just say this as a, as a coverall for spiritual disciplines. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I'm a better Christian if I do that, or I'm more in favor with God if I can do that. Don't look at it that way because that starts to slip over into religion. It's God is, you're perfectly acceptable to God whether you do them or whether you don't. What it does is it puts you in better spiritual shape to hear God, to be used by God. It has nothing to do with your standing before God, and that's really important to understand. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like tuning in a radio. We have a lot of static in our lives. And the disciplines of sitting before God, some of them are passive, some of them are active. Those things help us to tune in that radio and get a clear signal. And I can tell you that there are times in my life when I've been more spiritually in shape um, than I am now. And as a result, I was more able, readily able to hear from God on a regular basis. And probably more empowered by him, growing more. You know, we go through seasons in our lives. Anyway, let's move on to um, the next part here. And Jesus, right in the middle of this whole thing, he hits giving, he hits prayer, and then he hits fasting. But in the middle, he hits prayer, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And this is a, this, it's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. How many churches in the U.S. this morning are people standing up and reciting the Lord's Prayer word for word um, by memory with no thought as to what it means? A lot. And I'm, not, I'm positive that's not why Jesus gave us the prayer. Okay, nothing wrong with liturgy, but the only problem with liturgy is it easily tends to become a habit with no meaning attached to it. So we get the Lord's Prayer, and I want to just read out of this passage again because he ends up this whole prayer thing, and he says this, um, in verse 7, he talks about, you know, when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because there are many words. And then he says this. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I, I read this passage like ten times in the last two weeks when I was preparing this, and I ran over that verse a, a few times without noticing it, and all of a sudden it hit me upside the head, and I was like, wow. Okay, he's telling us to pray, and he's about to give us the model for prayer, 
But he's saying, guess what? Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. It raised a big question in my mind. And the big question was, um, he says, the Lord knows what you need before you ask. My question was this, why then do we pray? All right? And I'm going to back up here for a second. And what I want you to do is this. You may have seen some of what I put up there, but I'm going to get you guys in groups of two right now for about five minutes. And I want you to look verse by verse of the Lord's Prayer and see what you see in there and give me some thoughts about why is it that we pray? Why do we do that? Because if he already knows what we need, then what's the point? Legitimate question? I, th I thought so. So go ahead, take two minutes and just get with someone next to you and take a look. You have a Bible? Nobody? No? Sorry. <laughs> Pair up with people who do, and there maybe there's some extras around here too, I think. They've got two there, yeah. Well, there you go. And the, and the, the red letter stuff is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's a red letter day for Jesus. For him, it's a red letter life. I'll give you a little hint, too. There, there's at least one thing in every verse in the Lord's Prayer. No right or wrong answers, but I'm just interested to see what you guys come up with. about one more minute.
30 seconds. Let's start wrapping it up here, and I'm going to give you guys a chance to give some feedback. All right, so here's what I'm going to do on this. I'm going to read uh, these verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What do you guys take out of that verse, the purpose of prayer? Yeah, all right, fellowship, relationship. An acknowledgement of who God is. Anybody else? Praise and worship. All right. By the way, if if you notice this, there is a pattern here. The first three verses are focused on God. So the prayer starts out as a pattern of focus on God, and then the rest of it deal with us and our relationships here on earth. It's pretty interesting when you look at it that way. So, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Why do we pray according to that? Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of times, do you notice this? She said so that our will would be in line with God's. The the incorrect answer is so that God's will would be in line with ours. <laughs> okay, um, but, but isn't that the way that a lot of times we approach God? It's like, God, I really need this. I really want this. And so I want you to make this happen. He knows what you need before you ask. But... It is so important, it is so key for us to sit before the face of God and allow our wills to be molded by His will. Yeah. Yeah, you know, isn't that, isn't that interesting? I mean, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head, but I do know this. When I've prayed about things and I've sort of maybe tried to rush things or gotten a little frustrated or tried to implement my will, usually ends up much worse than when I just let God take His time and do what He wants to do. Yeah, and the other thing is a lot of times it seems like it takes, sometimes God takes longer than I would choose because I want it now. I want to take the aspirin and get it over with, you know. Um, Our will or God's, and I'll give you a great example of this. There was a time in my life when I was single, I was serving as a youth pastor. I would spend, you know, an hour or so a morning just, really I was reading Celebration of Discipline, specifically the part on meditation, which was really interesting because Richard Foster talks about how we, we as Christians see meditation as sort of an Eastern religion, woo, kind of a thing. But it's command, we're commanded to meditate in the Bible, meditate on God's Word. And um, so I really started to practice that discipline and listen to God on a daily basis and just sit and try to just get all the, the static and the stuff out of my head and be quiet and listen to God and focus on Scripture and different things. You know, and he, he spoke. He spoke mul- multiple times. There's things that he told me. And one morning I was sitting there um, meditating and, you know, at that point in my life I was, you know, probably early 20s and, and was kind of bringing the idea of marriage before God and say, Lord, you know, um, this would be my will, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And very clearly I heard God say to me, what if I don't want you married? And it literally scared the hell out of me <laughs> in some ways because I'm like, but, you know, God, that's one of my dreams in life want to be married 
I want to raise a family. You know, how, how could you possibly not allow me to be married? That would be, you know, deeply hurtful to me and struggled with that question before God. And this was a, this was a situation where God was working over my will. And we sang songs this morning, even about surrender to God and, you know, Lord, I surrender all. Well, it's easy to sing those songs until you're at the point where God's asking you to surrender it. And then it's a whole different story. And I had to struggle before God. And the, the, the thing that really, the outcome of that was I came to the point where I said, you know, God, I don't see how that would be a good thing for me. But I have to believe, knowing who you are, that if that's what you think is the best thing for my life, then it really is the best thing for my life. And I am willing to accept your will if that's what you want to do. It wasn't what he wanted to do. But he wanted to see if I was willing to give it up. I'm really convinced at this point that's what that was all about. It was a breaking of my will in submission to his will. Because really, you can't go on with God until you get to a point of surrender and brokenness of yourself. And I'm using brokenness in a different sense than we usually use it in the vineyard. So the idea of our will has to come in line with God's will. Okay, let's move on. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Now, it's obviously not about you know, knowing what our needs are, telling God our needs because he knows our needs. So what is this really trying to communicate? Why, why would we be asking God for our needs? What is that really doing? Absolutely. It's a reminder of our daily dependence on God. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, it's so interesting to me, like even in the area of money, we, we never worry about our employer giving us a paycheck, at least not, not until this year. <laughs> but, but you don't think about that a whole lot, but you just, you know, the check's going to come in and you're going to spend it. But when it comes to God, it's like, oh my gosh, is he going to supply the money or what's he going to... Why would we think that God is less of an able employer than the person who hired us down the street to do whatever we do? Okay? Same kind of thing. And so we need to remember that we come before God with this attitude of, God, you are able, you are able to supply my needs. This is not just a religious exercise that we go through on Sunday. It affects the rest of our life on a day-to-day basis. Um Next verse, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What do you guys think? What? Debts, trespasses. <laughs> How about sin? <laughs> That's it. There you go. Absolutely. It is. And you know what it is? It's keeping short accounts with God. We tend not to, I tend not to, and I think most Christians tend not to engage in the discipline of confession on a regular basis. And we just let the junk that builds up in our life build up. You ever, I, I mean, I have this little water thing that I boil water in every morning, my wife and I, and then we French press our coffee, make our tea, whatever. And I looked at and it's like this bright, glowing stainless steel. At least it was, <laughs> but it hasn't been cleaned in six months. And yesterday morning, I'm looking at that thing and it's got water scale all over it. It's just nasty. And I'm like, wow, that thing needs to be clean. So I broke out the silver polish, and right there at 7.30 in the morning, I'm just, I don't know, I got this thing, and I just had to go to town on this thing, and, and now it's all shiny and new. And I was like, wow. 
but it just sort of served as a reminder. And you know what? That junk was a lot harder to get off than it would have been if I had done it every week or something and just wiped it down, but I didn't take care of it. And our, yeah, the water. Well, it was actually what the inside's fine, luckily, but the outside looked pretty atrocious. You know, the baked beans are slopped on, you know, whatever. It's, it's right next to the stove. But, you know, the analogy holds that in our lives, it's like, let's keep short accounts with God. And this is the one area of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is going to address this again in a couple of minutes. He's going to come back to this idea of forgiveness. So hold on to that thought, but let's get to the next verse. Um, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What did you guys get on that? Anybody? Didn't have time. All right, then I'll just throw it out here. Whether you know it or not, we are involved in a spiritual battle every day. It is the battle of Satan trying to distract us from being effective, mature Christians and trying to distract us so that we're not effective in bringing other people to know God and not living the victorious lives that we were meant to live, the full lives that we were meant to live in Jesus and that battle goes on every day. Have you ever thought about why we meet here on Sunday mornings? I'm convinced that one of the reasons is is because we go out into the world, we live as Christians, we're salt and light, and we come here so that we can regain our strength from each other and from worship of God. But we need to be doing that on an individual basis as well. All right? So there is a battle going on. Jesus said, you don't wrestle against, or sorry, Paul said, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrecked you're wrestling against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, some, um, my, my mother said once, if you can see your enemy, you're on the wrong battlefield. Good point. Because we don't wrestle against f- flesh and blood. Blah, blah, blah. Um, let me move on to this last little thing that Jesus throws in there, and then we're going to sum up here. We're almost done. In verse 14, he's done now with the Lord's Prayer, and he says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Face value, that's a little scary, because he's basically saying your forgiveness in Christ is conditional. Now the question is, is this a salvation issue? Is he really addressing salvation here? I don't think he is. Um, If you look at the rest of Scripture, it basically says, you know, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that blood of Christ covers you now and forever for past, present, and future sins. So your salvation in terms of your forgiveness of sins is not conditional upon your forgiveness of other people. However, um, we should know that if we continue to walk in sin, whether any kind of sin that is, and that would include unforgiveness, that affects our relationship on a day-to-day basis with God, all right? My two sons and my daughter love them to death. And I can tell you this, there's nothing they can do that will make them not my children. They are my children. They always will be my children, regardless of the good or bad choices that they have or will make. However, if I continually tell my son, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, and he basically goes, no, I don't feel like it, no, I don't feel like it. That affects a relationship, all right, to the point where I may actually discipline him if he's not listening. And I don't think that our spiritual relationship with God is any different than that. Um, For us, and this comes back to the idea of short accounts, God says this, he goes, I want you to keep short accounts with me. I want you to forgive and confess with me, and I want you to do that on a horizontal basis with others as well. 
because it's simply hypocritical to say, God, I need your forgiveness, and then not forgive those who sin against us. And we tend to be hypercritical that way. And I'll tell you what, that's, another, again, one of the fastest roads to religiosity as opposed to righteousness. And, and that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing again, right? We're the righteous ones. You're not. We're in the club. You're not. And that whole thing. And that's exactly what um, Jesus is addressing here. This is just a summary, and we'll wrap this up here. Um, in terms of part one, let's live righteous and not religious. This involves the practice of righteousness, and, and that means the spiritual disciplines. There are things that we do. Those aren't, don't affect our, our standing with God, but they do affect our spiritual receptivity. But always with the right attitude of heart, asking the question in our lives on a daily basis, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then coming back to, I think, the simplicity in the heart of the gospel, we tend to make Christianity just so complicated, and I don't think it has to be at its heart that complicated. Religion is complicated because you have to make every T crossed and every I dotted, but but walking with God is not that complicated, but it does take some time and some effort on our part to connect. And then finally, with the Lord's Prayer, our model of prayer should involve worship and fellowship, a realignment of our will with God's will, dependence on God, confession or the idea of short accounts, and strength for that battle. You know, we, the, the realization that we are in a spiritual battle. We, we often forget that. You know, especially in our Western culture, we don't think of the spiritual realm in the same terms that an animistic or tribal culture does. Um, or even that Jesus' culture did. And it wasn't that they were less educated. Jesus was just a lot more aware of what was really happening in the spiritual realm. And we, we've become so scientific and rational in our Western culture that we often don't even acknowledge a spiritual realm. And Christians, we sort of are very influenced by that. Not sort of, we are. You know, we, we don't ever talk about possession, demon possession or things. Those things are real. And if you don't believe it, go to a third world culture and, and see what happens there. Because it, it it does happen. Anyway, um, I hope that guy uh, that gives you um, some more clarity about the Lord's uh, prayer, about the heart attitude toward the worship of God. I want to take a minute and just pray, and and I want you guys to join me. I mean, for me, what it came back to for me is just coming before God and saying, God, I I don't want my will to be done. I want Your will to be done on heaven as it is on earth. I want Your will to be worked out in my life on a daily basis, I want to come back to the point of surrender. You know, I surrender all, like that song says. And so if you'll pray with me and feel free to pray your own prayer, um, I'm praying more or less for myself, but also for us as a community, that, that we would be a community that surrendered to the power and the will of God.